بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد There's a concept of Islamic medicine that generally people speak about and what is Islamic medicine? There'll be many hakims etc that will be going around saying that this is Islamic medicine but what is Islamic medicine? That's so there's a few things mentioned by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned in the Quran, etc. about what's of benefit, what's not of benefit. Now, taking a simple example of the Quran talking about honey. So honey, fihi shifa'un lin nas. But I saw a person, for example, who I know has diabetes. He knows he has diabetes. And the honey there, the big Costco bottle of honey. Right? Mashallah, I don't know how many it's quite a volume and he's pouring it into his tea and he must have poured like a quarter of the cup was honey I said what are you doing he said I go you have diabetes as well he goes yeah, yeah shifa this is fine I mean you, you can't expect to drink a whole pot of honey and say it's shifa shifa in a particular proportion whenever somebody says something they obviously mean a particular level of it not just indiscriminately do as you please so it's understanding those balances our whole life is supposed to be about a balance whether that be in terms of our behavior whether that be in terms of our health uh, about our consumption and everything else it needs to be of a balance and Imam Ghazali explains that very well he says it's the prophetic equilibrium the prophetic equilibrium because the Prophet ﷺ was the most balanced in everything um, having said that um, Anything that is supposed to be good is going to be con committed, uh, considered, can be considered as to be Islamic medicine in the general sense of it. We are allowed to take from wherever we find good. The Prophet ﷺ said that ev there's no, uh, ev every sickness or illness that has uh, come down onto this earth or that's found on this earth, there is also a cure for it. Now, the Prophet ﷺ didn't highlight a cure for every single type of disease or, or problem or sickness or illness because many diseases and sickness illnesses are later are something that happened later or have been found later discovered later or have a new so uh, that means its cure has to be found as well so us finding the cure then that would become Islamic in a sense but you can't claim that this is what the Prophet used himself because there's very few things that he used and the other thing is that we're living in a time when we get things from around the world, not just from what's around you. Most of the things that the Prophet probably used were things that were found around. And that was the perfect balance. Because the reason it was the perfect balance is because the food that you ate was local. You know, there wasn't much that was being brought from afar. There were some things maybe, you know, in their caravans and things like that. But generally, and also that was natural at that time anyway, very natural at that time. Um, so you had a natural diet to start with and then you had natural antidotes from locally. Now what we have is that we eat foods from around the world every day. I mean if you think about any day of yours, you just look simply at the masala, the, the spices that you use in your, in your food and they're from around the world. You know, they're going to be from India, Pakistan or South Africa or somewhere like that. So it's going to be from around the world. You look at the fruit that we eat, 
there's not much that's British now. You know, it's going to be Spain, Venezuela, um, and and South Africa oranges. You know, from different places. So we eat things, and that's I'm talking about the natural stuff so far. And then there's a lot of the additives that we eat. So now it becomes a bit more difficult for these natural things that surround us to be of full assistance to us because we are then going beyond that limit and using chemicals, uh, additives and other things, derivatives of things. So then that's why the Yunani medicine, though it's supposed to be very good, doesn't work as well or as quickly uh, and we want fast results. So that's why paracetamols are faster. Because that's a chemical dealing with a chemical. Right? The Hakim's job is to balance the food and balance our system. And they work on the pretext of hot and cold. And these are Aristotelian concepts. These are Hellenistic. They're not Muslims didn't come up with them. That's why this, the method of Tib, Tib that we say, uh, which is they call Islamic medicine is really not Islamic, this hot and cold, though you do find that the Prophet observed this thing as well. But that's not where we made it up from, I'm sure. Because if you've ever been to a Hakim, and you look at the Khamiras that they have, meaning the medicines that they have, you'll see Khamira Gauzaban, you'll see Khamira Jalinus, which is a Greek name from Hakim Jalinus. He was some physician, right? So this is his potion that he made and is beneficial for this that and the other so it's just been Islamicized in a sense <clears throat> it wasn't developed it's not prophetic medicine Ibn al-Qayyim has a prophetic medicine model a book based on what the Prophet what's been revealed uh, related from the Prophet that he used and so on but it's useful whatever it is it's useful and it's beneficial now in spirituality so Hakim medicine is just about the body to it doesn't deal with your heart except from a cardiological perspective to just make sure it's pumping well there's no blood clots there thin the blood out that's how that's what medicine does with the heart and in most of in most of the analysis provided by the philosophers into the mind etc it's all based on the heart doesn't play a part in it. So the aql, this is what they deal with. They deal with the mind. The aql, they deal primarily with the aql because it's all mind and cognition. And they deal with the, the nafs to a certain degree. Uh, what we mean by nafs is nafsul ammara bisu, which is the biggest problem that we have. And there's the nafsul lawama. Most people are in a state, and most people who try they are in between the nafsul ammara and lawama that that's what they're in between we're hardly ever in a state of mutma'inna which is a very tranquil state which is a very high state of the high awliya and the prophets we can touch this state sometimes and we hope to get there inshallah but generally if even if we're in the lawama that's a good stage but then there's nafsul ammara which is generally what we're dealing with so nafsul ammara and nafsul ammara is the one that is the evil inciting soul and nafsul lawama is the admonishing soul or the soul that tells you off don't do this it's the voice inside don't do this and sometimes they're both at work and then depending on how strong your heart is it will make that decision so if the heart is weak 
then the nafsul ammara will always get get its way because it's always more persistent and your ourself which is the nafs obviously we like to do that so there's an advantage for the self to do that but if the heart is strong with the dhikr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then we will give strength to the lawama side of it and we will strengthen it so that it will overcome the ammara regardless of how anybody is there's going to be fleeting thoughts that will go through their mind of some haram sometimes it'll just go through and it's gone it was just like you didn't even notice it that's how that's how it is Sometimes it comes in, settles for a while longer, and then it goes. Then the third stage is it comes in, it settles, then you take it out. In the first two, it eventually went, it lingered for a while, or it, it was there only for a short while. The third stage is that it lingered for a while, and then you pushed it out. That's an act that you just did. But it was easy, maybe. Now, up to there, it's fine. When it gets beyond that, when it stays in the mind, and you have to kind of fight with it a bit, and eventually get rid of it, then that's still dangerous because you may lose one day. If the heart isn't strong enough, but then the heart has to be strong for this to happen. And the fifth one is when you resolve to do the wrong. That's what you call azm, resolute uh, intention to do something. That means that lawama has been. This is when you're talking about negative thoughts, of course. You know, the same thing can happen to positive thoughts. Positive thought comes in, an idea comes in, which is ilham. There's an angel, just like there's a shaitan to give us uh, evil insinuations with every human being. And our shaitan knows us more than anybody else, including our parents. Our own shaitan knows us more than our own parents or your best friends who you tell everything to. Because there will always be things that you haven't told your best friend even. Even if you said, I've told you everything, they will not be the case. Because the shaitan has been with us. From every, every second of the way since our birth. So he knows everything that we've done, everything we're prone to, everything we're weak to, and we're vulnerable to. So he knows the best way to do it. So against such an enemy that is so well versed about you, has the full details, then we're going to have to be really, really strong and to outwit that. And there's no way to outwit the shaitan with your own logic because shaitan... Although he has faulty logic, which didn't help him, which caused him to be the renegade, but negatively uses it very well. So his, his logic was, fa was faulty in the sense of his uh, working for him positively when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to bow down to, you, uh, to Adam alayhi salam. We are the Ashraful Makhluqat in the sense that though we're made from the soil, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised us in such a way that he told the purest of creation that never sins, that never does any wrong, that never any opposition, to bow down in front of this hollow being of Adam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of the ruh that we have inside us. You have the insinuations of the shaitan, but then there's also an, an angel that does ilham, that inspires us with good thoughts. And they come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the heart is the processing plant for all of this. And where most of us are failing is because our hearts are dead. The one who remembers Allah and the one who doesn't is like the dead one and the live one. But we just can't tell because there's no way to... The only way to deal with the heart and to understand the level of the heart and the state of our heart is by seeing how much we can do and how much we can't do. That's the only, it's, it's clear. But 
the reason it's a bit more deceptive is that when our heart is ill, there's an enjoyment, a worldly enjoyment. When our physical body is ill, there's no worldly enjoyment, there's a pain. So we force ourselves to go and get a remedy, to cure ourselves. But the fitna here with the nafs is that when our heart is ill, we enjoy it because it's a dunyawi enjoyment which is bad for us. So there's nothing to push us except tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Except that iman in the heart that then will still call out once in a while after you've had your pleasure and then you'll get the remorse, etc, etc. But then we have to strengthen it to such a level that right from the beginning we can go the right way. <clears throat> Not even get into that spot. And we've been praying all of our life and we've been making tasbihat all of our life. We've been reading Quran our life. It fails to provide that same impact. Because <clears throat> you get the tasbih. Or after salat, you use your fingers 33, 33, 34 times. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. So even though you, we may have no concentration in what we just read, we just said, subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. And many of us are very regular on this as well. Subhanallah, subhanallah. We said it. We read the Quran. We read it. We made salat. We did it. Because there's a physical activity involved, and there's a start and a completion and a procedure, and we just did that procedure. We started. We did the procedure. We completed that's an accomplishment. Do you understand? So we felt like we did something, but we didn't do anything really. Because we didn't do what, what it's supposed to be doing for us. Aqimi salata li dhikri. That dhikr never took place. We just did our salat to fulfill the fard of it. In fact, most of us, when we think about salat, unfortunately, it's to fulfill the fard. Namaz parniya. We got, we're going to miss namaz. We're going to miss namaz. That's our attitude, isn't it? We're going to miss Salat quickly. There's only 10 minutes left. Hurry up. Let's finish it off. As though we, it's just something we need to get in and just do. Our attitude is not... If an attitude was that I had to do it for Allah, then it's going to be... There's no way you would leave it until 10 minutes before. So, even in Tasbih, when you've done 33, 33, you've, you've achieved something. So you feel like you've done something. You feel like it's beneficial. And there's no doubt that there is some benefit in all of this that we do. There's some benefit. But it's not providing the real, the, 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 the high benefit that it should do. Now you can, we were speaking to somebody the other day, just yesterday actually, and somebody said, you know, <clears throat> they're looking for something more that will really make them turn to Allah. So another person is saying, just read the Quran. Right? It's very easy to say that. Make turaqats of nafal, get off a tahajjud, do your tasbihat. We say that all the time. Problem is that we've been doing that. There's no fault in the tasbih, there's no fault in the salat and all of that. It's just we're not doing it properly. So we need some kind of training that that salat will become like that. That tasbih will become more spiritual. And the reading of the Quran will become like that. That's why you do the muraqabah. That's why I find it the most effective. So it's not even with the tongue that you feel like you accomplished anything. The only thing you've done, the only deception that you could have in here is that I've spent five minutes sitting for Allah. That's the only deception you can have in here. Because if you have to sit and do a loud dhikr, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, you still felt like you did something, though you may have had no concentration. But when you do muraqabah, you know whether you've done it or not. Do you understand? Because you know, have I had concentration for this five minutes? Did I think of something else? Did I really get anything out of that or not? 
Now, if I had concentration for that, let's just, I'm just saying five minutes, but you know, it's two less, but just say five minutes. I know that if I had concentration and did that maraqabar properly, it would be definite. Right? It would definitely be effective. And if I don't, then I know, and I'm not going to deceive myself that, oh, I did 10 minutes of maraqabar, I know I didn't do it properly. That's why I find it so powerful. Because there's no deception in muraqabah. You're either with it or you're not. You know, you either did it, you either connected to Allah or you didn't. Now, once you've learned how to connect, and of course it takes a while. It's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Otherwise, it, everybody would be doing muraqabah. You know, if you could just sit down and cut everything away. We, we, our lives, especially living in London, maybe if you're living in the north, but believe me, they even have problems. Right? You've got people from there, they even have problems. London is a very fast-moving city. You do many, many things. Your doors are closed because everything has to be appointment. You go up north to Blackburn and it's silly for you to stand outside and knock on the door. You're supposed to just kind of ring and walk in because the doors are open. It's like India, you know, or Pakistan or whatever, you know. We're very fast moving, so it's a bigger challenge for us. Our muraqaba is like fit into time, quick, you know, we need to do it this time and move on. So we're thinking about the next thing. But once we get, inshallah, our muraqaba right, then you can use that concentration you develop and of course the heart that you develop in that in your salat and, and everything else. That's why whenever I get you know, whenever you get the reports from people of what they've done, the muraqabah is always the, the one that suffers. I did my tasbih, I did my Quran reading, I did this, I did that and everything. Uh, the wukuf qalbi is what matters because you can't get wukuf qalbi without doing your muraqabah. If you're distracting your muraqabah, there's no way you're gonna get wukuf qalbi. The whole point of muraqabah is to get wukuf qalbi eventually. Right? Because you'll eventually in your lessons you'll actually move beyond the muraqabah, then it'll just be thicker anyway. But the whole thing is to develop the state of just being conscious of Allah all the time. So if you can't do muraqabah, forget about real wukuf qalbi. Right? Unless you focus and do it temporarily for, for a particular amount of time. So you, we just have to work on that muraqabah. Now, I, you know, after this experience, you understand why the shuyukh, that's what they say. Like, muraqabah, that's everything else is easy. Because you feel like you've accomplished something. But you know when you do muraqabah that you haven't accomplished anything. If you haven't done it properly. So the point is to use every... It's, it's against your will. It's an it's a exercise against your willpower. Against your nafs. This is such a strong... Muraqabah is so strong. That's the whole point of it. That you are overcoming your nafs, your mind, your desires, all of that is taking place. That no, I want to cut away from all of that and just focus on Allah. That's why uh, when the Shaykh, when he says, Muraqaba uh, Kalle, you know, he says, Dunya, Dunya, or Dunya me johe use, hat cut ke, you know, apne aap, lower your head and uh, uh, just focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that has to be done. There has to be an, you know, a way to do that. Of course, you read A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem if that helps, and so on, and then, and then you start. But you can't miss Muraqabah. There's, there, there's, there's no exception to that. Don't deceive yourself by doing everything else and not Muraqabah. Ibn Ata'illah, he says, Al-A'malu suwarun qa'imatun wa arwahuha wujudu sirri al-ikhlasi fiha. Very succinct, but it embodies what you've been saying. He says, الأعمال صور قائمة وأرواحها وجود سر الإخلاص فيها. Actions are lifeless forms, but the presence of an inner reality of sincerity within them is what endows them with the life-giving spirit. 
Because any action that we do, whether it be your salat or your Quran reading or whatever, it's an external form. There's an external expression to it. There's a method, procedure, beginning and an end. It's a package, a physical element to it. So or most actions are like that. They're, they're lifeless forms, meaning you can do them in a lifeless way. So the arwahuha, its ruh and its spirit is the presence of the secret of ikhlas in it. And he calls it a secret, he didn't just say ikhlas in it. Because it's very complicated and it requires a lot of exercise to get the ikhlas in it. It's built up over time. One mustn't leave it just because you don't think you have it. You have ikhlas in something. You have to build that ikhlas and you'll build it a few percent at a time until you get 100% ikhlas. Okay, let's uh, do the muraqaba. And after the muraqaba, I'm just going to allow a few minutes if anybody has any questions about their muraqaba because muraqaba is something that you get better at as you go along. It's, there's a lot of different things you, because we feel different at different times. So it's always helpful to have a, uh, a majlis on th is this right or is this wrong because there's always a lot of confusion about muraqaba. I mean, I've had to ask so many times that this, is it, what about this, what about this, can you do this, can you do that? So it's, it's, it's helpful. اللهم انت السلام انك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا اله الا انت سبحانك انا كنا من الظالمين جزا الله عنا محمد ما هو اهله اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اهل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم الحمد لله الاني الاعلى الوهاب او الله او الله او الله ويا يور سيرفنتس Oh Allah, you created us and you've given us everything. Oh Allah, all the bounties that you've given us, with all the favors that you've given us, we have still disobeyed you. And most of the time it's with the same bounties that you've given us. Oh Allah, we ask you for full forgiveness. Oh Allah, we ask that your wrath doesn't descend upon us. Oh Allah, we ask protection. We ask protection of you from your anger and from your wrath. Oh Allah, we ask that you treat us with your mercy. You make us of those who your mercy covers in all states in this world. Oh Allah, without your mercy and your compassion, your enablement, your tawfiq, we will be unsuccessful in this world. Oh Allah, we ask you for ultimate success, both in this world and in the hereafter. Oh Allah, accept our du'as. Oh Allah, accept our gathering here. Oh Allah, on this Saturday morning, this gathering we've come to do, we don't want to say that it's our own achievement because only you've enabled us to do this, to dedicate this time for you. So we thank you, we're grateful to you for enabling us to sit for this hour to remember you, oh Allah, and we ask that you accept it. Oh Allah, we have good hopes because you've enabled us to be here without this being a necessary gathering to come to. It's something purely out of choice. We thank you for your enablement. And oh Allah, we're extremely grateful to you for allowing us to do this. And we ask that you accept us in the fullest manner and you forgive us any shortcomings. And you allow all the remembrance to permeate our hearts and to assist us 
in the days to come in this world. Oh Allah, keep your dhikr alive in our hearts. Oh Allah, keep your dhikr alive in our hearts. Oh Allah, keep our hearts constantly in remembrance of you. Allahumma ja'alna dhakkaran laka shakkaran This is a dua of your messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Allah, make us of those who frequently remember you and who are frequently thankful of you, who are constantly in thanks of you. Oh Allah, make us of the shakirin. Oh Allah, make us of the shakirin. Make us of the mustaghfirin, those who make istighfar and tawbah to you and who return to you because the ultimate physical and spiritual and return is eventually to you. But oh Allah, allow us to return to you in this world so that we can prepare for the final return which is inevitable. Oh Allah, make us our life easy in this world and totally conducive to that which pleases you. Oh Allah, this is our ultimate game, uh, ultimate objective from focusing on this path. Oh Allah, you've put us on this path. We ask that you take us closer to you and you advance us in this path and you remove any obstacles in our path. You give us concentration in our muraqaba. You give us full immersion in the dhikr that we do of your name and allow us to go from your name to you. Oh Allah, allow us to go from your name to you. Oh Allah, allow us to go from your name to you. Oh Allah, in existence there is nothing but you. Oh Allah, allow us to understand that and comprehend that and make that a firm belief in our heart. Oh Allah, we ask for you ease in everything that we do in this world, in our married lives, with our families and our children, with the work that we do outside, with our health, and with everything that we do. Oh Allah, keep us on the halal and avoid the haram. Oh Allah, keep us on the halal and allow us to avoid the haram. And grant us success in all of our permissible needs. And grant us the karima la ilaha illallah on our deathbed. And allow us to go in a state that we are longing for you. We are longing for you. And allow us to go in a state that we have no sense of loss of this world. Oh Allah, allow us to breathe our last. Allow us to breathe our last without any form of loss, a sense of loss of leaving this world. Oh Allah, detach us. Detach our hearts from the love of this world. Grant us love of you and everything that is beneficial in that regard. Oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those who love you and the love of those acts which take us closer to Jannah and hatred for those acts which take us to hellfire. Oh Allah, we ask that you make the best of our moments of existence the day that we stand in front of you in the hereafter. And O oh Allah, grant us the company of your beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and send abundant blessings on our behalf to him and fill, grant him your blessings and compassion and your mercies forever. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun alil mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alayhi.